Friends, it's good to be together this morning. I'm grateful that we have this time to connect uh, and to think together and to laugh together and uh, just to be together. My name is Mike Laurie. I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Warehouse, and I'm glad that we have this time together. Uh, This morning, we are finishing a long series, eight-week series uh, that we've called Unashamed, where we've looked at 2,000 years of church history and looked at, uh, today will be our eighth Um, historical figure, someone who um, really felt uh, called by God to be a storyteller of God's good news. In the book of Romans, Paul in the New Testament writes a letter to the church at Rome, and in the first chapter, Paul declares that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel is is a coined term for good news. He's not ashamed of the story of Jesus. And so we've looked at everybody from Irenaeus through uh, all the way up, which is second century, all the way through uh, modern. And today we're going to finish with Billy Graham, Charlotte's native Billy Graham, who is 99 years old and still living. Uh, and we have, uh, Wes is going to unpack uh, uh, Romans 10 uh, and uh, connect that with the life of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was unashamed of the gospel. Billy Graham was unashamed of being a storyteller of the good news of Jesus. And that's encouraging. In a little bit, we're going to show a clip um, uh, we have a section in our service that we call the lament. The lament is when we, um, we pause and we, we, we think and reflect on a, a strong and deep and profound question of our existence, not just in this room but in the world, questions that the world asks. It's a time for us to kind of dive deep as we prepare even to hear God's word. And the lament that we're going to use today is a section from when Billy Graham spoke here in Charlotte in 1958. Now, Billy Graham's message was about the hope that's found in the story of Jesus. And there's lots of clips that we could have shown, but the one that we're going to show today centers on the subject of loneliness. Loneliness. Douglas Copeland, who's one of my favorite 21st century novelists, said, forget sex, politics, or religion. Loneliness is the subject that clears out the room. Loneliness is weighty. That's a heavy concept for a lot of us in this room. For many of us, loneliness is, is, uh, uh, is something that we walk into the room with. For some of us, it's something that we think about a lot. I went to the parade on Thursday uh, here in Charlotte. My daughter's marching band uh, uh, marched in the uh, parade. And when I, uh, the older I get, when I'm in crowds, the more I feel the crowd like shrinking on me. Does anybody get this feeling, right? And so I'm at the parade and I can just feel people all around me, right? And, uh, and it's not just in crowds that, it, that start making me a little nervous. Like if I'm home like sitting at the dining room table and you come up right next to me and stand behind me, I can feel it. And when I do that, there are people in this room that are sweating, right? Thinking about like that claustrophobic. That's how I feel when I'm in a crowd. There's this desire to depart and detach because the feeling is just too pressured. But for some of us in a room, we experience another thing when we're in crowds. And that is that, that feeling that in the midst of uh, people, we can feel lonely. We can feel lonely in the midst of people. I got to speak on Mother Teresa a few weeks ago, and she was noted to say that loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible of all poverties. It's a weighty subject. Loneliness might be a subject that will clear the room. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. But let's just be honest with who we are and what we deal with. Let's be honest about what plagues us. Let's be honest and ask the question, is there hope? Is there hope? 
I really believe that there is hope. I believe that there is hope. I do believe that the story of Jesus is good. And we get to celebrate that and think about that today. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. uh, And then when we come out of the prayer, we'll be able to watch this clip from 1958. Pray with me. God, I trust that your spirit is here, that your spirit was in this room before we got here. Your spirit anticipated our arrival. You invited us in. And I'm grateful for that. And we walk in this room with all kinds of stories, with all kinds of experiences, and all kinds of journeys. There's challenges, there's support, there's encouragement, but there's weight, there's struggle. And so we ask that the spirit that is here would uh, speak holy to us, would, would breathe life into us, would present light in the darkness and lead us to a place of hope. I'm mindful of what Brennan Manning said when he said, suffering and failure and loneliness and sorrow and discouragement and death will be part of the journey, but the kingdom of God will conquer those horrors for no evil can resist grace forever. So Spirit, we ask for grace. Grace, breathe life, hope, peace, mercy, forgiveness. Lead us. May we be open uh, to the story, to the good news of Jesus today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. And then there is the loneliness of sin, and that's the worst of all. The Bible says when Judas betrayed Jesus on that last night at the supper, he left the meeting of the disciples, and he went out because it was night. You remember when you were young and your conscience was sensitive, and if you told a lie, your conscience spoke to you? But now it's become hardened and dulled. And you know the remorse of many years of sin. There are many of you sitting at a bar right now. You wish your life were different. You wish that you weren't chained by the habits of sin tonight. You'd like to be free, but you can't. You've tried, and it's impossible. The loneliness of sin. And the older you get, the more lonely you'll be. Because you see, away from God, There's nothing but loneliness and remorse. Go ahead and continue for a while. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. You can get away with it for a while. But I want to tell you one thing. A man told me one day, he said, I'm not afraid of going to hell. He said, there'll be a lot of other people down there. But listen, the Bible indicates that hell is a lonely place. You won't see anybody else there. You won't even see the devil. A lot of people have an idea that hell's a place where the devil is standing in a furnace and giving the orders or sitting in a big office running hell. That's not the picture at all. The picture is one of separation from God and blackness and night and darkness and loneliness. You'll be all alone. You won't see your husband. You won't see your wife. You won't see your friends. You'll be alone. The loneliness of sin. Sin pays wages and it crushes your personality. It crushes your life and it crushes your soul and it ends up in hell. Turn to Christ tonight from your sins. Let him free you. Let Christ come in. And then heaven is going to be a place of fellowship where your loved ones and friends will be. Heaven will be a glorious world of fellowship and friendship. There'll be no loneliness in heaven. The Bible says there'll be no night there. What a hope we have, those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Yes, the Bible says Christ suffered alone. 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, said Jesus. Down here in the South, there are thousands of people that are suffering anguish at this particular time. It's not just a Southern problem. It's a world problem. It's the problem on Cyprus. It's the problem in the Middle East. It's the problem in New York. It's the problem in Chicago. It's the problem in the Far East. It's the problem in India. It's not just a Southern problem. And thousands of people are searching their souls and searching their conscience and their minds are tortured and bewildered by what is the right thing in a complicated situation. Mental problems. I tell you, Christ is the answer. Come to Christ. Come at the foot of his cross and let him touch your mind and your heart and relax your soul and your heart. And then we shall know love for our fellow man that knows no bounds. And we shall love our neighbors as ourselves. There are thousands of people that want to obey the law, but they don't know what the law is. The federal government says one thing, the state government says another, and they're confused. And there's a tremendous confusion in the problem because it's a constitutional problem as well as a race problem. And it's all confused, and many people are making emotional statements at the moment, flag-waving statements, hysterical statements. Would to God that all of us could come to the cross and see in Christ a solution of all the problems that bewilder us and confuse us. That may not be your problem. There may be some other problem in your life, but you need Jesus, you need Christ. The country needs Christ. Pretty bold, right? I mean, whether or not you agree with Billy Graham, cannot fault him for lacking boldness. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you were actually in the room in 1958 at one of Billy Graham's crusades? Any of you? In 1958? How about the one in 72? He had uh, his first crusade, it was in 47, then 58, then 72. Anyone at the 1972 crusade here in Charlotte? 19 what? 52. 52, yes, that's awesome. Wow. Uh, and then he was back in 96. I... I I know, well, actually, raise your hand if you ever saw Billy Graham anywhere. Curious. Good, okay. So you guys know that video shows a little bit of what he's like, but it doesn't do full justice. I mean, the guy was magnetic and energetic and riveting to watch, and he was incredibly effective. And that means over the course of his long career, Graham preached to live audiences totaling close to 215 million people. In 185 countries, one of his largest uh, uh, crusades was in South Korea. If we show that photo, um, in uh, Seoul, he preached to, I think, about a million people at once. Um, three million people over the course of that crusade. But so this is incredible, right? This phenomenon of these crusades and Billy Graham and historians and, and religious scholars have asked the question, what's up with Billy Graham? I mean, what, what made this guy so incredibly effective to draw so many people and there's lots of answers. Uh, there's not one simple answer to that, I don't think. Uh, but there is one simple and very human part of the answer, and that is his voice, which I find fascinating. A few years ago, Grant Wacker wrote this excellent biography of Graham called America's Pastor. And he 
uh, concluded that, uh, quote, a lot of Graham's appeal rested in something as simple yet mysterious as the human voice. Now, I don't have a preacher's voice, and uh, part of that is genetics. Part of that's an intentional choice. I could put it on if you want me to. Um, no, 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 no. Maybe later. Um, I, I'm grateful that I can serve out of who I am in a context that fits. Um, and I'm, so I'm grateful that God has given me the voice that I have. I am grateful for Billy Graham's voice. Uh, whether or not you agree with everything he said, I think we can see that his voice had power. And I am grateful for all of your voices too. just want to put that out there at the outset because every single one of you is gifted in particular ways. Every single one of you is called by God in a particular way to have a role in the world, to do something, to make something of it. And you have a voice. And something that you and I and Bill Graham all share, particularly if you are a follower of Jesus, is that we are sent to tell God's story. We are sent to live God's story. We're all messengers. We're all gospelers. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you're living out some version of good news. Your, your life, whatever your life is showing, is what you believe. And so this morning I want to look at what that is, what that process is of sharing what you believe. And uh, we've been doing this through the book of Romans, so we're going to zero in on Romans 10, connect that to the story of Billy Graham and uh, our lives as well. So we're going to look at Romans first as we have a pattern of doing. I would invite you to stand with me as I read this. This is going to come from Romans 10, starting in verse 9. Uh, going through verse 15. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to him. There's a really beautiful logic in this passage, and I think it's easiest to see if we go backwards. There's six key verbs that I want to highlight that show uh, what Paul's trying to say here. The first one is there at the end. It's the verb sending. Verse 15, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Which seems like kind of an odd question to us. It should, at least. Like, why would you have to be sent in order to say something important? Why would you have to be sent to share good news with somebody? What's well, helpful to see in the original, in verse 15, that, that word that's translated preach in the NIV is literally the word herald, which is a, had, had very specific meaning in that Greco-Roman context. A herald never preached his own message. A herald was sent by an emperor or sent by someone in power to herald the good news of the empire. Uh, so when uh, an emperor would take the throne, he would send uh, a herald out to announce that and to um, talk about the implications of that in the town square. So herald would come in, all right, here comes a preacher voice. He'd open his scroll and he'd go, hear, O oh people, the good news. <laughs> Octavius Caesar is now lord and master 
of the known world. He demands your loyalty. He demands your allegiance. And he demands your taxes. <laughs> Something like that. And he, the herald would deliver this news. That was his job. And the herald could only do that if he was sent with the message. And it, so it was very striking that at the beginning of Paul's letters, he identifies himself as a herald. Every single one. Apostle literally means sent one. One who is sent to herald the good news. Not sent by Caesar, sent by the Lord Jesus. Not sent to herald the, the coming of a new empire of, of Rome, but sent to herald the coming of a new kingdom of God, ruled by Jesus. The good news that Jesus has won a victory over everything that divides and everything that destroys. That was Paul's message. Given the context, this is a sermon for another time. That was radically political and radically countercultural. You get that? A herald will go out and announce, you know, bear allegiance to Caesar. He is Lord. He is master. Paul's message was, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. He's the true king. Up for another time. Now, Paul made it very clear in his letters, I'm not the only herald. Uh, I'm sent by God to proclaim this good news, but you are too. If you believe in it, you're a herald too. Every follower of Jesus is. Um, Jesus said to his followers in John 17, As you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them, my followers, into the world. So to know Jesus is to be sent by him. To know Jesus is to have this mission from God, uh, from Jesus, to be his messenger, to be his gospeler. So that leads us to the next action after sending, which is the gospeling, uh, which comes from verse 14. How can they hear without someone preaching, gospeling to them? Again, the the literal one is heralding. I don't like to use herald because it's just this old-fashioned word that sounds weird. And preaching isn't good either because that implies this uh, specific activity that only particular people do. But gospeling, I like this word, good newsing. Uh, is something all of us can do, uh, of taking what we believe and, and sharing it, whether verbally, like Billy Graham did, or, or non-verbally, right, in ways that match our gifts and our personalities. In fact, I mean, a lot of gospeling is nonverbal, because most of our communication is nonverbal. So you, you're gospeling all the time. You're gospeling when you're generous to a neighbor in need. You're gospeling when you do excellent work as someone who's created in God's image to make things and to be creative. You're gospeling when you plant a garden and, and cultivate this, this previously unused patch of God's earth. You're gospeling when you show hospitality around your table with, with others. You're gospeling when you, when you do the dishes when you're not asked. You're gospeling when you respond to harsh words with kind words. When you, um, anytime you bring the good news to bear on something, on politics, on education, on leadership, on homemaking, on artistry, whatever it is, uh, it, that's gospeling. So there's that nonverbal part of gospeling. There's the verbal part of gospeling as well when you tell a story about what you believe about Jesus and how it relates to your own life. But I think it's good just to pause and, and consider what you are gospeling. What is your life showing? What kind of news? Are you proud of it? Do you even know what it is? Are you, are you aware? Are you attentive? Are you, you know, what, what's, what's the good news that your life is telling? Is that something that you're, that you're glad that you're living for? Or are you not sure? Or are you ashamed? Or are, are you confused? Wherever you are, I, I'm hoping that God can provide some clarity for you on that this morning. Or even just some motivation to discover 
what that might be and what your gospeling is currently. Now, Billy Graham, uh, he sensed this very, very particular call to gospeling when he was 16 years old. He grew up on a dairy farm right outside of Charlotte, and he went to church just down the road from here at Chalmers Memorial Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Aren't you glad we don't have a name like that? Uh, the building still exists. It's at West and South Boulevard. That was Billy Graham's childhood church. It's uh, where Grace Covenant Church is now, and uh, the offices have changed choices. Uh, we're hosting their Christmas party soon. So that was Billy Graham's church. That's where he heard the, the word growing up. That's where he was baptized as an infant. Uh, they were a very committed church family. And then in 1934, his father hosted a prayer and revival meeting on their dairy farm and invited the church members, invited people of the city. And Graham remembers sitting there and hearing the evangelist Mordecai Ham, who was, was praying specifically in that gathering that God would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Billy Graham felt very specifically that God was speaking to him, calling him to do that. So he starts exploring that calling. He goes to Florida Bible Institute. He transfers from there to, to Wheaton College near Chicago, where he met his wife, Ruth. And then he graduates with an anthropology degree and starts pastoring a small Baptist church while hosting a radio program where his leadership really started to emerge. And he was called by Youth for Christ to be a leader with them, an evangelist, and, and his leadership just took off. I mean, it's, it's incredible, actually. At age 29... In 1947, I believe, 1947, at age 29, Graham was invited to be a college president. He was president of Northwestern College in Minneapolis. Um, And that is the same year in 1947 when he started his crusades. So this is his first crusade. This is in Charlotte, 1947, and it just took off. For the next 60 years, Graham is gospeling in this way to millions of people. Right? Millions of people are hearing this good news that Graham is preaching. But he was also gospeling in the nonverbal ways as well. I think that's part of the story we sometimes miss. We see Graham the preacher, Graham the evangelist. But even the way the crusades were set up and run, I mean, that was a form of gospeling for him. So, for example, in 1953, at a crusade in Jackson, Mississippi, ushers had set up ropes to segregate black audience and white audience. You think Graham was okay with that? No. He approached the head usher and he says, this contradicts the gospel. So take the ropes down. The usher refused. And so Graham said, you're fired. And he went and took down the ropes himself. And his gatherings grew to be the, the largest integrated, racially integrated gatherings in the world at that time, including in places like South Africa, 20 years before apartheid. There was racially integrated gatherings led by Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham came late to some of those realizations. And I would lie if I, just like all these figures we've been looking at, I would lie if I said, oh, Graham got it all right. Well, no, no, he didn't. Graham was in process, still is, as a 99-year-old, right? Um, He didn't get everything right. He was friends of a sort with Martin Luther King and invited him to pray at his crusade in Madison Square Garden in 1957, which was wonderful. Uh, but Dr. Kim will later criticize Graham for, for being too moderate, uh, for not pouring more of his energies and resources and connections to work against racism to make that his thing. Um, and King is right. Graham was moderate at times. There's truth to that. While at the same time, I mean, think about the people who saw and heard Graham's commitment to racial integration 
at his crusades. Incredible. Incredible impact. Okay? And, and Graham would talk about how he had three conversions. He was converted to Christ, then he was converted to racial reconciliation, and then he was converted to nuclear disarmament. So, but again, that was a process for him. And um, I think we need to, you know, as we study history, we recognize that we're all in process. Graham was no hero in that sense. Um, but the things, went, once he was converted to racial reconciliation, um, he had an incredible impact. All right, going back to Romans 10, we've looked at the sending, got the gospeling, and then the third verb there is the hearing, verse 14. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So believing presupposes a hearing, an awareness. And this is a really cool part of Graham's life because he started thinking creatively, uh, started praying, God, how can I use all of my creative energies so that more and more people will hear the gospel? And, you know, live preaching would always be his staple, but he started to dream about, well, what about TV? What about radio? What about books? What about magazines? Um, so in 1956, he started a little magazine called Christianity Today, which um, quickly grew to be the largest Christian religious periodical in the world. It still is. Uh, and until recently, until really studying Graham for this message, I didn't have any idea how much of an entrepreneur he was how much of a creative person he was and how much of that imagination he unleashed and took risks on, on really creative ventures so that as many as people as possible would, would hear the good news and that some of them would believe and profess and be saved. It also got me thinking about how different culture is today than when Graham started preaching in the 40s, like how many more barriers there are to people hearing the gospel, at least in the West today. Uh, I mean, there are intellectual barriers, including any re- resistance to any claims of absolute truth, right? Any, any claims to kind of authority. Uh, there are social barriers. As it becomes increasingly acceptable and, and preferable to be an atheist or agnostic, which is now seen as the humble or safe option. Uh, there are cultural barriers in the age of authenticity where, where you need to wait for kind of the, the real me to emerge. Uh, and that, that's what I believe. That's what I'm discovering um, there, there's aesthetic barriers whenever style doesn't match substance. There are moral barriers when people don't see Christians practically living out what they believe. So lots of barriers. And I think as I consider the barriers and I consider Graham, I'm inspired. I'm not inspired to preach like Billy Graham, which I couldn't do if I tried. I'm inspired to be creative. And to unleash my imagination, our imagination, for what does it mean to hear today? How do we address some of these barriers? What, what different things could we be doing? Um, and so I'm, I'm inspired in that way. And one specific thing I thought of was back in our Vision Sundays in September, we challenged each other to be praying for, uh, specifically praying for three of our neighbors who we may have some interaction with but, but would have different commitments faith-wise. Um, and then to link with other people who are two other people who are doing the same. We call them prayer triplets. Um, so I think this is a beautiful challenge. But I got to thinking in regards to Billy Graham, like, what would it look like for, for me to unleash my imagination when it comes to gospeling in the lives of these three people? Don't think about 215 million people, right? These three people that God has, has invited me to pray for. What if I was a creative and generous initiator in their lives so that they'd begin to see what kind of God I serve? 
because of how creatively I'm, I'm being generous to them? Or, you know, what, what if I was attentive and asked good questions and curated conversations that were creatively relevant to their lives um, and also seasoned with grace? Don't you think that would have a big impact if all of us took up that kind of challenge? If there were three people in our lives that we're praying for, three people in our lives that were like, I'm going to unleash my imagination to be as crazy generous to this person as I can because that's what God is like. Man, I don't know. I'm, I don't think we know what impact that would have. So I, obviously I'm excited about the pair of triplets. I would love more people to take up that challenge. Uh, there's cards in the back. It's super simple. Like, what are the three people? <laughs> uh, sorry, who are the three people? Uh, you write them down and then you find two other people and pray for their six people as well. But link it to this challenge too of consistent prayer paired with a creative gospeling of what we believe. That has power. Um, and I, that gets me excited. So we've got the sending, got the, the gospeling, got the hearing. And then the next two verbs are paired together intentionally in Romans 10. It's the believing and professing. So let's look at that. Uh, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the way Paul lays this out, he's saying believing is the inward response to the gospel, to the good news. And professing or declaring is, is the outward, initial outward response to the gospel, and they belong together. So as the Spirit moves inwardly, uh, to, moves us to turn over our lives to this Master and Lord, then we have this accompanying desire to profess that publicly, to let people know about it, to, to solidify our allegiance uh, to that in community, in relationship. And there is such a critical point here. And if you miss everything else today, don't miss this. Because uh, it's so clear in Romans 10 and elsewhere that true belief is always personal and it's never private. Got that? True belief is always personal, involves everything you are, what you believe, think, feel, but it is never private. You, you can never keep it to yourself. It always longs for uh, implication. It always longs for accountability. Um, as you are moved personally at the core of who you are, you will be moved to live that out, to let others know about it, to invite accountability, um, and, and which means it can never be private. Then that, that connects to a couple things we do here, and I think it's helpful once in a while just to step back and, and say, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Uh, we have this thing called commitment milestones here at Warehouse, and it's, it's directly connected to this challenge of hearing and then believing and professing because there is, again, this natural movement of uh, being captivated by who God is in Christ and then declaring that publicly before people either through uh, baptism or through profession, they're very similar. Um, baptism is, is a beautiful ceremony for those who are new to the way of Jesus to say, uh, I belong to Jesus, and my old life has been washed away by the death and resurrection of Christ, and I'm, I'm declaring that before my friends and my family and my church. Uh, so baptism is this, this sacrament of new life. Uh, which is a beautiful thing. And if, if you are at the point in your story where you have trusted in Christ privately, but have never made that public, have never celebrated that with the church through baptism, I would love to do that. Uh, so come and talk to me. Come and talk to Mike, who introduced the day. Let us know where you are. We can talk a little bit more about what baptism is, but we would love um, to make that happen. 
So that's baptism. Uh, profession is similar, although it's um, usually for people who have already been baptized. So either uh, there's this beautiful tradition of parents presenting their children uh, for baptism as infants to declare God's promises to them. They're part in God's family. Um, so as those children grow up and own their faith and, and find their place in God's people, there should still be an opportunity for them to profess that, right? And to make it public and to say, this is who I am. Uh, I belong to Jesus. And so that's, that's why we have uh, profession as well. Either way, I would love to know if God is moving you to, to take that next step. Again, perhaps you do have a genuine faith, but uh, God is challenging you to take that next step and to say, this is who I am publicly. Will you keep me accountable? Will you give me the support I need? Will you give me the challenge I need? Because that's what church is for. That's what it's all about. Then, <laughs> if this were a, a Billy Graham crusade, we just, you know, come on. Like, come on down. Right here, come as you are. Um, that's not our style, not my style. But I don't want you to miss the, the, the really important point, which is public declaration is critical. Uh, it's critical to your growth. It's critical to your accountability. It's critical um, to, to the natural living out of, uh, and response to God's good news. So what's the end result of all of that? It's really important not to miss this, of the sending and the gospeling and the hearing and the believing and the professing. It's that God saves. That's the next verb. That's the kind of the overarching concept of this passage, God's salvation. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to end with this because that's a really beautiful word and often misunderstood. Um, salvation in the Bible is as comprehensive as you can imagine it. It includes your past and your present and your future. It includes your relationships and the way you use your money and your spirituality and your sexuality and your, the way that you work. It is... Sozo is the original word, and it just means to, to become more fully human and healthy. Um, and so we, we should not limit salvation to, to think that it's just a spiritual transaction between, between us and God that ensures our eternal destination. It includes that. Salvation certainly includes a restored relationship with God that's going to last forever. But it also includes restored relationship with myself and my neighbors and creation and my work. Um, and so let's not limit this beautifully robust concept. And, and another way I think we limit it is we, we talk about salvation from things, from sin, from hell. And we don't talk nearly enough about what we're being saved for, being saved into by God's mercy. So yeah, we're saved from sin, but we're saved for a, a beautiful life of relationships functioning the way that they should function. Um, we're saved uh, from isolation and loneliness, to play after uh, Graham's theme, into a, a, a new spiritual family where we ex experience friendship and we experience belonging. We're saved uh, from the absence of God, the, the frightening absence of God, into the comforting presence of God, from division into unity and diversity, from aimlessness for a purposeful role in God's mission so your life has meaning, from oppression into freedom, from death into eternal life that begins right now. So, it is as comprehensive and as glorious and holistic as you can imagine, the salvation that God offers in Christ. And this is what motivated Billy Graham. Longing for people to experience fullness. Longing for people to experience human life in, in all of its 
complexity and all of its glory. And it's what motivates God to send us. It's what motivates our gospeling and our telling and our believing and our, and our professing. Because God is making all things new. That's his mission. And so when he sends us, the, the incredible thing is we have a role in that. Whatever we do, that we get to be a part of that. And we get to be God's instruments. So pray with me, would you, as, as I ask God to equip us in that mission. God, we're blown away by who you are and your love for us. We're blown away by the mystery of your ways. We don't get it at all, really. Um, and even as we've been studying history, there's, there's amazing things to observe, but how you've been working, and obviously we'll never understand, but we are, we are grateful. We are grateful for people like Billy Graham, who had a gift and who used it, not in his own strength, uh, but really relied on you to do so. And God, what would it look like for us to do the same? What would it look like to honestly discover how you've put us together and then use all of that for the sake of your mission in unique and beautiful and impactful ways? I, I pray very specifically that that would be a result of today, that there would be um, a searching in, in each of us for um, what part we have to play, what kind of gospeling we are privileged to be a part of uh, in these very few, short years that you've given us and, and to just take that up with joy and with creativity and with, with courage. Um, and I pray that you would equip us for all of that particular work as we are sent and as we gospel and as hopefully people hear and believe and profess even today, God, work more deeply in our hearts and minds and lives for us to appropriate the great salvation that you have given to us freely through Christ. That um, we have no more fear, we have no more shame, we have no more guilt, we have no more despair. There are hard days, God, but we know that you are with us. We know that you are guiding us forward into this glorious future where all things will be made new and and we want to be a part of that now. So guide us by your spirit, and thanks for your grace to us in Jesus. Amen. As we move into this uh, next movement of our service, a, a coming together before we're sent out, um, I'll ad- Why don't you guys just stay standing for a moment. It's really awesome to sing with you. Can't wait for more in this Advent season. Um, Sure, you're probably thinking about Advent, Christmas, December, we're there. Um, So as you're doing so, I want to mention a few things that are happening here, ways that you can invest, ways you can can be involved. The two things I'm going to talk about are both on Saturdays, um, but they're both hugely valuable. One is uh, our Kids Warehouse Advent Project. We do this every year. The kids pull out the stops with their families to create some projects to serve uh, neighbors in need. And this year, they are um, creating something to serve those impacted by incarceration who we get to be with at our Change Choices party on December 9. So these two things are connected. There's this on the 2nd for families and kids at 6. And then on the 9th, we have the Change Choices party. So Change Choices is, is an organization that works to walk alongside women who are incarcerated and women who are transitioning into life beyond prison. And we get to welcome them here and love on them, love on their families, and, and other allies are going to be here. Um, I know a lot of you during this season, uh, we used to have an opportunity to serve here at Warehouse at the um, 
uh, Christmas Village toy store. And I would encourage you, if you're missing that, <laughs> here's how you can pour in. This is an amazing opportunity to, to make room for those who are impacted by incarceration, to model the incarnation in that way, to, to pour out hospitality and love to them. Um, so here's exactly what's going to happen, or here's how you can be involved. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do on that day. You can help set up. You can bake Christmas cookies. You can purchase craft supplies. You can set up decor. You can donate toward the jazz band that's going to play. You can donate toward out-of-town travel to people. So even if you're thinking about, well, I'd like to buy toys for Christmas Village Toy Store, do that and donate them somewhere, but consider purchasing something to support this event as well and to love on those who have been impacted by incarceration. If you go to the Skinny, the link is there. If you go to our community calendar, the link is there. So make sure you sign up. And if the sign up is full, let us know. We'll, we'll get you in. We'll, we'll get you other ways to serve. It's going to be awesome. Um, the other thing that's happening during Advent is a new series. It's called Fully. Uh, we're going to be looking at the humanity of Jesus. And how the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels uh, is quite remarkable and how it leads us to recover our own humanity. Both uh, the glory and the limitations of that humanity, which I think is an important thing to grapple with during Advent. So we're going to be meeting every Sunday in Advent at 9 and 1040, except on Christmas Eve, which is going to be 10 in the morning and 6 in the evening. So we look forward to having you guys participate with us in this movement. If God is stirring something, or if you want to know more about Warehouse, there's these cards on the seat. That's a great way to let us know, uh, either a prayer request or or something you're interested in. We also have a prayer room around that corner with a mural on it, and you can spend some time in there and and just meet with God and have others pray for you. Receive this benediction as we go from here. This is from uh, Romans 16, the end of the letter. Paul is, is capping things off by saying this. All our praise rises to the one who is strong enough to make you strong. Exactly as preached in Jesus Christ, precisely as revealed in the mystery kept secret for so long, but now an open book through the prophetic scriptures. All the nations of the world can know the truth and be brought into obedient belief, carrying out the orders of God who got all this started down to the very last letter. So all our praise is focused through Jesus on this incomparably wise God. So to him we say amen and we go in his grace.